0: The whole chapter, though, uh, I do not know if I will actually get through the whole chapter, but um, we will read it. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness, the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light. And kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes round about and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons will come from afar. And your daughters will be carried in the arms. Then you will see and be radiant. And your heart will thrill and rejoice. Because the abundance of the sea will be turned to you. The wealth of the nations will come to you. A multitude of camels will cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba will come. They will bring gold and frankincense and will bear good news of the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kadar will be gathered together to you. The rams of Nebaioth will minister to you and they will go up with acceptance on my altar. And I shall glorify my glorious house. Who are these who fly like a cloud And like the doves to their lattices, surely the coastlands will wait for me and the ships of Tarshish will come first to bring your sons from afar, their silver and their gold with them for the name of the Lord, your God and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has glorified you. Foreigners will build up your walls and their kings will minister to you for in my wrath, I struck you. And in my favor, I have had compassion on you. Your gates will be open continually. They will not be closed day or night so that men may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession for the nation and the kingdom which will not serve you will perish and the nations will be utterly ruined. The glory of Lebanon will come to you, the juniper, the box tree and the cypress together. To beautify the place of my sanctuary. And I shall make the place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who afflicted you will come bowing to you. And all those who despised you will bow themselves at the soles of your feet. They will call you the city of the Lord. The Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated with no one passing through. I will make you... An everlasting pride. A joy from generation to generation. You will also suck the milk of nations. And suck the breast of kings. Then you will know that I the Lord. Am your savior. And your redeemer. The mighty one of Jacob. Instead of bronze. I will bring gold. Instead of iron. I will bring silver. Instead of wood. Bronze. Instead of stones. Iron. And I will make peace. Your administrators and righteousness, your overseers, violence will not be heard again in your land, nor devastation or destruction within your borders. But you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. No longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor for brightness will the moon give you light. But you will have the Lord for an everlasting light and your God for your glory. Your sun will no longer set, nor will your moon wane, for you will have the Lord for an everlasting light. And all and, and the days of your morning will be over. Then all your people will be righteous. They will possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands that I may be glorified. The smallest one will become a clan and the least one a mighty nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it. In its time. Amen. Matthew Henry commenting on this chapter says that in chapter 59, the spirit and the word, the Bible, were promised in the previous section. And that what Isaiah here is doing today is showing us the effects of the Holy Spirit in this chapter. I thought about this chapter with regard to our college Uh, Because of the Advent season, we don't really necessarily think seasons are to be observed by way of command. But I think by way of cultural, um, shall we say, relevancy, I think it's a good idea uh, that we as a church do look at uh, some of these passages that speak of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to uh, take a moment here today and look at one A boys and girls that was written 700 years before the advent of Jesus, before the coming of Jesus in Bethlehem. We had uh, these words uh, written by Isaiah. I want to divide this chapter into three sections. I'll probably spend the bulk of the time in the first and second and then kind of conclude with the third. But here we go. Verses one through three. We see Isaiah speaking about the glory of Christ and that that glory will rise upon his people the glory of christ will rise verses 1 through 3 secondly from verse 4 to 18 that the response will be that the nations shall come to christ and then thirdly in verses 19 to 22 the lord himself will be our glory the glory of christ will rise verses 1 to 3 the nations will come Into the glory of Christ. And then thirdly, the Lord himself will be our glory. Verses 19 to 22. Now look again at the way that Isaiah opens here this chapter. Arise, shine, for your light has come. Now that's an exhortation, isn't it, to the Jewish people. They are to arise and shine. Why are they to do that? Well, God's light has been promised to them. Their light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Now, this might have been news to many of the Jews who were facing captivity in Assyria by the ten northern tribes, that is. And then the southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin being threatened with captivity by Nebuchadnezzar. And yet... He says what? The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Why would Isaiah speak of this? Well, the reason is, is because that while the prophets would speak about things that were contemporaneous to their own time, the prophets would also then, like a telescope, project something that was distant and future and bring it close as though it were near. What I would argue is, is that what Isaiah is prophesying in this chapter here is that despite the darkness that envelops the Jews because of their own apostasies and because of the judgment of God upon them and the captivity that they are experiencing and will experience through Assyria and through Babylon. Nevertheless, God has not forgotten his covenant that he has made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They will still be a people to whom the nation's. Will bless. They will be the people through whom the Messiah will come. And that, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. So Isaiah here is saying that despite the reasons to be mournful and sad among the people of God, Isaiah here is saying to them what? Rejoice, arise and shine. And is this not what the New Testament tells us to do as well? We go through many trials and tribulations as Christians. We suffer many things, both spiritually and physically and emotionally and um, mentally. And yet uh, we are commanded to rejoice always in the Lord. Why is that? Well, because of the things that the Lord has done and the things that the Lord has promised that will be for us uh, in the future. We have reason to be joyful. We do not mourn as Unbelievers mourn. They mourn as people who have no hope. But we, even in our mourning and our sorrows, we sorrow as people who have great hope for the present and for the future. So Isaiah here is prophesying a future restoration of the people of God. Previously, um, he has he reaffirmed the covenant to them. And now he is saying that Christ will come, who is the light of the world. And with Christ also, you will have this great outpouring of the spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, will be given in abundance upon future generations. And so the people are being encouraged by Isaiah to look up to the glory of the Lord, which is coming. Arise, shine, for your light has come. Now, even though it's being said there in the past tense, Remember that this is often the way the prophets would speak, that things that uh, are still yet future, he brings them as though they are almost a certainty that it is already accomplished. Your light has come. Christ will be with his people. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Notice in verse 2, for behold, darkness will cover the earth. And that is, of course, the state of the world. The world by nature is dark. Don't let the commercials this Christmas season fool you that the world is innately lost and dark. A deep darkness for the peoples, but what the Lord will rise upon you. A special promise here to the Jews. His glory will appear upon you. And what is this glory? It is the glory of Christ. Isaiah is speaking not of himself, but he is speaking of Jesus. Jesus said, search the scriptures and in them you will search the scriptures because in them you you think you have eternal life. They speak of me. Isaiah was speaking of Christ 700 years before Jesus came. Nations will come to your light. What is that light? Well, the, the light is Christ. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus said that himself. I am the light of the world. Walk in the light while you still have the light. And kings to the brightness of your rising. So even though there is darkness and judgment, there's ignorance in the world and superstition and idolatry among all the nations. Yet for the people of God, salvation shall be from the Jew first. And then also for the Greek, the Lord shall come among his own. He has a sheep of his own pasture. He had sheep of another fold, we are told, but his first priority, his first sheep. Are those of his own people. And the people they and because of Christ and because of God's word, the Jews are called the people of light here in verse three. The nations will turn to them. Even pagan kings will search them out. And so we see Isaiah prophesying of a future glorious kingdom. And that is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. The glory of the Lord did indeed come We know to the Jewish people in the person of Jesus, Jesus born of a descendant of David, legally by his father, biologically and legally through his mother. He is conceived yet, though, by the spirit of God. And so that Christ being the eternal son of God becomes a man and the son of God comes as the light of the world in uh, the form of a baby. And is born of the Virgin Mary. Yet without any sin. He does not have Adam's sin because of his being the Son of God. He is the express image of his Heavenly Father. And he, Christ, brings light to everyone who believes upon him. Christ takes away the darkness. The darkness of our thinking, the futility of our mind, the darkness of our emotions, our affections for this world, our love for evil. Christ takes away the darkness of our soul. And Christ, through Isaiah here, is to be the one who will bring this light to the world. You and I, most of us, I think I'm speaking here to fellow Gentiles, unless you ethnically have some Jewish heritage, Uh, you are a Gentile. And so you have to understand that you and your family and your ancestors were lost in the days of Isaiah, when Isaiah penned this, your ancestors were worshiping totem poles and leprechauns and who knows what rocks and stones and all kinds of various idols and gods. Our families were lost. Our families were in darkness. Our families were were, were pagans when Isaiah lived. And there was no hope for our families except for this promise. That this promise that Jesus Christ would come into the world to save the world, to save the nations. And we are here today in the 21st century with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior because of what Isaiah promised here. The kingdom of Christ would come and bring light to the world. Uh, It is a glorious light, notice here. It It is not a natural light. Notice that the nations will come to your light. This is not a natural light. This is a supernatural light. This is the light of God. This is, this is not the light of creation. This is not the light of general revelation. This is the light of, of special revelation. This is the light of scripture. This is the light of Jesus who is the word incarnate. And and we need to realize that this is this is the only hope for us in the 21st century today as well as to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ to the nations. The nations need to know that there is no hope for them apart from Christ, apart from Jesus Christ. The Bible says we can do nothing. Now, the nations are not yet convinced of that. They still think that. Through the light of general revelation, we can find some kind of salvation. That's what Madison Avenue is going to spend the rest of this month trying to convince you of. Your happiness will be found in the light of creation, in the light of this world, in the light of what we're selling you, in the light of what if you will just click and put in your basket here, we will process and put on your doorstep in just three, four days. Uh, that That is not the light that saves, though. Um, this is a supernatural light. Man cannot save himself. Man is depraved. Man is lost. Man is ignorant. Man is is dark in his thinking. Though he is still in many ways clever because he's made in the image of God, the corruption has polluted everything about his cleverness. And so that everything for which man is clever and brings about and invents is used for evil ends. Selfishness, greed, malice. A violation of all of God's commandments, adultery. Uh, We see that with the Internet. Uh, We see uh, good things that God gives perverted and turned into evil acts. Because of man's nature. Man's creativity, his uh, intellect, his abilities, his powers cannot save man. We cannot do anything we want. We cannot have eternal life based on general revelation. We cannot have eternal life. There's no life, there's no cure for, for death, though they're trying There is no cure for death other than Jesus Christ's resurrection. He is the light of the world. There There is no hope for real, genuine, lasting happiness outside of Jesus Christ. The gospel brings joy to every soul that truly rests and believes on him. We have the forgiveness of sins. Look at, it as I spill into verse 4 and following, up, the nations coming to Christ. Notice here, verse 4, lift up your eyes round about and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Now, who is Who are these they's that are coming? Well, boys and girls, Isaiah is talking about the nations. Remember that this prophecy was originally written, the original audience for this word from God were the fellow Jews of Isaiah. And so when it speaks of they, he means you. (laughs) Okay? When Isaiah says they, them, those folks out there, he means us. He says, and he's saying to the Jews, lift up your eyes round about and see. Telling the Jews, rise, shine, the glory of the Lord has come upon you, the kingdom of Christ is coming. Lift up your eyes to the nations. They gather Together, they come to you, your sons will come from afar, and your daughters will be carried in the arms. Now, this may refer in part to the sons and daughters that were in captivity, the Jews that were scattered among the Assyrians and the Babylonians. But if we read this verse with the eyes of the book of Galatians, where Paul tells us that everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ is the son of Abraham, I think there's more to this prophecy. Meaning this, that the children that are spoken of, even though he calls them their children. Remember what Paul says, that if you believe in Christ, you are a true Jew. You are a son, a daughter of Abraham. And so in a sense, we are their children. We are looking to their Messiah who came into their midst and though they did not comprehend him and put him to death on the cross. God vindicated him, raised him from the dead, and now offers him freely both to Jew and to Gentiles. And if we believe in Jesus Christ, we become children of Abraham ourselves. And what does he say? Your sons will come from afar. So there's a sense that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are like these Gentiles in the faraway countries. They didn't even know about America here. And yet here you come from America To where? You're coming to Zion. You say, well, I've never been to Israel in all my life. Well, here he he is speaking here. I think figuratively, again, as we saw two weeks ago, coming to Zion is coming to Christ. Christ is a fulfillment of the temple. Christ is a fulfillment of Zion. And so the sons are coming from afar. Your daughters will be carried in the arms. All these children that they didn't even know they had, are streaming to them. Then you will see and you'll be radiant and your heart will thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea will be turned to you. The wealth of the nations will come to you. These nations, these dirty, filthy, polluted Gentiles are going to believe on your God one day. And they're going to trust in your Messiah. They're going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're going to be coming from the north and from the south and from the east and from the west. They're going to be coming from all over the world. And they're going to do one thing. They're going to want to come and they want to worship the God who first revealed himself to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And they're going to do so in spirit and in truth, not on this mountain or that mountain. But all who worship the Lord shall worship him in spirit and truth wherever they are. And so there's going to be this great restoration brought about by the kingdom of Christ. The people of the Lord will will prosper. Isaiah is speaking about days of prosperity and joy. And that, of course, we know comes with the gospel. The gospel inaugurates the joy that is ours. Now, that joy is not consummated yet. And I think we do get into verses in this chapter where Isaiah then spills over into the consummation. And this is just one of the things you just have to kind of read, keep reading the prophets to get a sense of how these guys work. Because what they'll do is they'll take something that's going on in their day. They may speak to that. And then, as I said, it's like a telescope, boys and girls. They'll, they'll put your eye up against the telescope and you'll see a star that's way out in the distance and they'll bring it near and even though Isaiah is 700 years before the advent of Jesus, he's bringing Christ and he's bringing Christ's kingdom near. But then Isaiah does something else. He, te- he has this tendency to sh- to prophesy about the inauguration of the kingdom. But then he spills over into the consummation of the kingdom. It's, and it's all mixed together. And, and so in this one chapter, you you have the gathering of the nations coming to Christ, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. But as you see, when you get to the end of the chapter, you also have the, the consummation of it all. And, and this, of course, I don't want to you know get ahead of myself, but, you know, John in his revelation in the last two chapters of 21 and 22, he, he draws heavily from the end of this chapter. And what does John do with it when he says that, you know, there's going to be no more moon and no more sun? You're going to have the glory of the Lord as as your light. Well, he, he's saying this is the consummation. So with Isaiah, if you want to understand, you know, prophecy rightly and yet and, yeah, and you, you want to understand uh you, you kind of have to be a little flexible, fluid. Um, you engineers, this is why you guys aren't very good at prophecy a lot of times, uh, because you think, OK, this versus this and this and, and you've got it all. And, 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 you know, they make these charts and, you know, and it's all complicated. And no, it's it's more like language. It's just fluid. OK, um, I just saw that, you know, apostrophes are gone you know, uh, because we're not using them properly anymore. Anyway, it's just language is like that. You know, you, you got your rules and then they get changed. Well, with the with the prophets they tend to do that. And and I think that's why Matthew 24 and Luke 21 are so confusing to a lot of people because they're wondering what is, you know, is he talking about something near? Is it something far? And, and the answer is yes. <laughs> he's starting with things that are near and he just projects out into things that are consummate dealing with the end. Now, so I think here with Isaiah, he's doing the same thing. He's, He's talking about you Gentiles are discouraged because of your condition right where you are. And I have this word from the Lord, arise, shine, because Christ 700 years from now is coming. But that should be encouragement for you now. And, and with the coming of Christ 700 years, you are going to see the, the gospel of the Lord spreading all over the world. And people from every tribe, tongue and nation are going to come to you. That is by coming to Christ They will they will be as though they are coming to you and they will bring their treasures and bring their gifts. And notice here, I think you see this in Matthew chapter two. Look at verse six. A multitude of camels will cover you. Young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba will come and they will bring what? Golden frankincense. And I think that's one of the reasons maybe Matthew and Matthew two notes those special gifts that were given to Christ. That it is showing here. Look, Isaiah said something about the gold and the frankincense coming, and and here are these Gentile um, philosophers from the east coming and bringing their gifts to the Lord Jesus Christ. They will bring their gold and their frankincense, and they will bear good news of the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kadar will be gathered together to you. The rams of Nebaioth will minister to you. They will go up. With acceptance on my altar. What's that altar? Well, to the, to the Jew, the altar, of course, was the altar in the temple. Now, you know, your dispensationalists want to say, well, see, the altar's going to get rebuilt. You know, later in, in the millennium or at the end of the millennium, they're going to rebuild the temple and the and we Gentiles are literally going to that altar again. I don't think that's what he means at all. I think the altar is Christ's cross. Christ has been offered once and forever, and there are no more offerings. By way of atonement, all the subsequent offerings are offerings of thanksgiving and praise to God. So when it says that we will go up uh, with acceptance, God will accept us on His altar, the altar, I think, by which we are accepted is the altar of Christ. It is the cross of Jesus Christ. I shall glorify my glorious house, He says. Well, what's that house? What's the temple? Well, Jesus said, tear that temple down and I'll rebuild it in three days. Jesus is the fulfillment of the temple. We don't want to follow dispensationalists on this point, friends, and, and, and build some future temple and have animal sacrifices all over again. Forget that. That's to miss the beauty of this prophecy. This prophecy is saying that Christ has come as the Lamb of God, has laid down his life for us, has shed his blood for us, and that blood cleanses us from all guilt and sin and pollution, and defilement. And I don't need any other blood. I don't need any other offerings. And they say, well, oh yeah, but well, these won't be offerings of atonement. They'll be offerings of, of remembrance. Friends, we have that in this Lord's Supper. You don't, need to, you don't need to sacrifice sheep again. If you want to remember the cross, Jesus told us what to do. You, you, you go to the Lord's Supper. That's, that's the, where we remember that the one-time atonement of Christ. So you have a picture here, a beautiful picture, all these people coming uh, to the Lord and uh, they come by faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, This is this is always to be understood. Again, again, another key to prophecy is you have to see that that Jesus is that key. He's that answer. uh, To the prophecies. So verse nine uh, verse eight, who are these who fly like a cloud, like the doves to their lattices? Surely the coastlands will wait for me. The ships of Tarshish will come. So again, it's just an, again an, an, another elaborate elaborate picture of people who even live on islands and, you know, people from Hawaii and people from Indonesia and people from, you know, these little Pacific places, you know, will even come to Christ. And they'll bring their gifts with them, their silver and their gold for the name of the Lord. Notice verse 10. Foreigners will build your walls and their kings will minister to you. I think, again, this is a picture of people who uh, are brought into the church by the preaching of the gospel. And what are they doing? They're building the kingdom of Christ. For in my wrath, I struck you here again. He's talking about the chastening which the Jews received. And in my favor, I had compassion on you. Your gates will be open continually. They will not be closed day or night. Now, here again, here's where, you know, Isaiah is fluid. Because where do we learn that the gates will be open continually? At the end of the Bible. John tells us that the gates will never be closed. They'll never be shut. The wicked will be cast out. So here, there, there are things that I think do speak to the inauguration of the kingdom and its continuation, but there are things in here too that speak to its consummation. Verse twelve: For the nation and the kingdom which will not serve you will perish, and the nations will be utterly ruined. So we see here why America needs to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, those who reject Christ will will be punished. But those who come to Christ, those who will covenant with Christ, those who who will dedicate themselves as living sacrifices to Christ will be blessed. The glory of Lebanon will come to you, the juniper box, the cypress tree together to beautify the place of my sanctuary. And I shall make the place of my feet glorious. Again, a picture of the place of worship. Being glorified. Verse fourteen: The sons who afflicted you will come bowing to you. So the Gentiles, the Babylonians, the Assyrians—that's that, who is in the near view—will uh, will end up repenting and believing and worshiping with you. All those who despised you will bow themselves at the soles of your feet, and they will call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Um, I think there's. Let me say a few things by way of application, encouragement to a lot of this material here. Um, You know, this this passage is a real encouragement, I think, for prayer for to take to the Lord and say, "Lord, you said you you said you're you are God who's God of truth. You don't lie." You said all these people were going to come to you. All these people were going to come and they were going to bow down. Lord. Yeah. How come it's not happening? Why isn't it happening more? And pray that to the Lord. You know, the, the Puritan said the Lord as a father loves to hear his own promises brought back to him. The Lord loves to hear his children come to him and say, but Father. You said. You promised. And father, you have to because you said, and you know, Martin Luther, just in a way, you know, I, I don't have the boldness of Luther, but I love the way Luther says, God, if you don't do this, I'll never believe you for anything again. <laughs> because you said, and if you don't do it, I'm, I'll never trust you for anything again. <laughs> and that kind of boldness. You know, the Lord, you have you have said that you would do these great things. Also, we you know, I think it's an encouragement for us to pray for our missionaries. They're not out there in vain. You know, they're a part of the fulfillment of what Isaiah is speaking of here. And, you know, missionary work, um, it can get romanticized, but missionary work is just pretty much like it is here. It's just week in, week out, preaching, teaching, praying preaching teaching praying preaching teaching praying and um and that, that's pretty much what you do over there too um you just you do it in a different culture you do it in a different language but uh but it, it it's just that kind of day in day out kind of work and they need our prayers and encouragements um to to keep going uh, they don't have oftentimes all the support networks that that we get over here and uh, so do pray for them but plead the promises here of, of Isaiah 60 uh, as you do so here well let me talk about um, I've talked about the glory of Christ will rise, the nations will come but let's talk a little bit about the, the glory that is uh, the Lord himself uh, in view uh, what makes heaven heaven boys and girls, what makes heaven heaven um, it's, it's the Lord's there, Christ is there um, God the Father is there, the Spirit is is there, and and if and if Christ were not there, it would not be heaven. Um, and you know, you, your liberal theologians don't appreciate this. Um, they they tend to think of heaven as some kind of uh, maybe idealized. If they believe in heaven at all, uh, you know, some kind of uh, idealized uh, political state. Often, and really. It is not so much the benefits of heaven. It's it's it is God Himself that makes heaven heaven. And that's what we need to see. It's not just the streets of gold, so to speak, uh, or the pearly gates, but it's it's that the Lord is there and the, and the Lord is our life. He's our Alpha and our Omega, and and it's that glory that Isaiah captures here at the end of this chapter. After he, Isaiah has spoken of the inauguration and continuation of the kingdom of Christ, the nations coming into that kingdom through the preaching of the gospel and the benefits that would go out to those nations that embrace the gospel. Uh, you see Isaiah moving more and more towards kind of this consummate picture so that uh this is, as many of you have sat under this ministry for many years, have heard the theological expression, the now and the not yet. Now, it was all not yet. In Isaiah's day, when he wrote these words now with us being on this side of the cross and the empty tomb, we are in the now in a way that the Jews were not. Okay, did I just confuse everybody there? You always have to keep in mind the perspective from which the writer is writing from his perspective. The kingdom has not even been inaugurated yet. But he's prophesying with these wonderful words about the coming of Christ's kingdom. We now are in that age. We are in the age of Christ, of the gospel. It has been initiated. It has been inaugurated. It is continuing until Christ comes again. But what I'm saying is that Isaiah here at the end of this chapter now is about to speak of things which are future to us as well. So half of this chapter is about things which were future to Isaiah, but are our present reality. But now Isaiah then now kind of bleeds into the future that is ours as well. And that is the glory, the consummated state. And if you look at verse 19, here's what I was talking about earlier. This is the language that the Apostle John picks up on in the last two chapters of the book of Revelation. Isaiah says in verse 19, no longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor for brightness will the moon give you light. Now, does that mean that God is going to destroy the sun and the moon in the new heavens and the new earth? I don't necessarily think so, Uh, but I think what it's saying here, he is trying to find a way that we can understand about how glorious the glory of heaven is. So if you all we have to work with as human beings is the creation, right? And so what Isaiah is saying here is okay. What's the what's the most glorious thing we've got going on? Well, you know it's probably the sun. Okay, without the sun, uh, we're doomed pretty quickly. Um, we we are we are dependent upon the sun for for heat and for light. And Now if what Isaiah is then doing is saying, well look. You, There's coming a day that heaven will be so glorious that it's almost like you forget about the sun. It's almost like the sun becomes darkness. That The glory of God is is far exceeding the best thing we can think about or imagine in creation. And and so I think Isaiah may be actually speaking figuratively here. He's not saying that, that God's going to do away with our solar system necessarily. There is a fire that's coming. It's, it, theologians debate, Is it, how destructive is the fire? Is it a recreative fire? You know, Is it a purging fire? Or is it a fire that just gets rid of it all and God makes all things just completely new again, almost like a second creation? And, and there's debate, and I don't know uh, the answer to that, really. Um, I, I tend to think that, if I had to guess, that the Lord is going to... That, the cross of Christ is going to reclaim everything that was lost in the fall of Adam. And so I tend to think that the work of Christ is not to destroy creation. That um, the fire that Peter speaks of is, is a destructive fire in terms of the, the, what the, the creation is laboring under, the groaning that Paul speaks of in Romans chapter 8. Uh, be due to our sin and the consequences of sin um, that 's going to be destroyed by this fire, so anyway, getting back here, no longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor uh, for brightness will the moon give you light, but you will have the Lord as an everlasting light, and your God for your glory here so the the significance is The future glory of Zion is going to be fulfilled in the consummation of Jesus's kingdom. It's going to be fulfilled in his return and the establishment of what the Bible speaks of as the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation chapter 21. The Apostle John speaks of the glory of the final state that far exceeds even really the prophecy that we have here in Isaiah. For we are told of eternal life. In a world of glory with no more death, no more sorrow, no more sighing, no more sickness. And all these themes that Isaiah uses are picked up by John. The theme of light, the theme of glory, the theme of the nations coming in. All of this is used by the Apostle John in Revelation 21, verse 22 and following. And you can do a comparison if you want this afternoon. But clearly, John understands Isaiah 60 if we can use scripture to interpret scripture, I would argue that John understands Isaiah 60 as being fulfilled with the consummate kingdom of Christ at the end of history, when all of the last of the elect have been brought to faith in Jesus Christ, the sound of the archangel, uh, the shout of the archangel, the blowing of the trumpet, Christ comes, then you have the judgment, you have the, the, the uh, new heavens and the new earth brought forth. And the glory of the Lord is a picture of the, the, the glory of God Is is now among our people. That which was, what what did Adam and Eve have? They had the presence of God in the garden. What was lost in the in the fall and the disobedience? They lost the fellowship with God. Now they're hiding from God. God expels them from the garden. The garden was the first temple in the world. And what do we find at the end of the book of the Bible? We find that that it's all restored and it's even better than it was. Because now the righteousness we have before God is no longer just this righteousness of innocency, having never done anything evil. It's the righteousness of Jesus' obedience. And we have the mediator now between us and God. And therefore we have this full fellowship with God. And the glory of God is is with us mediated through Christ and the glory is of such degree that the best that the writers can do is to say that the sun will be gone and the moon will be gone by I think it is by way of comparison you your sun will no longer set nor your moon wane why because the glory of God. Will be that everlasting light. You will have the Lord for an everlasting light, and the days of your mourning will be over. Now, if God does destroy the sun, and you know, I'll, I'll, hey, listen, I'll I'll be ready to repent in heaven. I, I will be able to repent perfectly in heaven uh, of my former views that I taught here. But um, look at verse twenty-one, twenty-two. I got to bring it to close. Then all your people will be righteous. They will possess the land forever. That righteousness, of course, will be an inherent righteousness as well. Right now, you have an imputed righteousness through faith in Christ. You have a righteousness that is growing in you, but it's not consummated yet. Your righteousness right now is chiefly forensic. Chiefly alien to you. It's Christ's righteousness. But by the work of God's sanctifying and glorifying power, that righteousness is that you will possess will be inherent. You will be in heaven unable not to sin. You will not be able to sin. I get all those Picaris, non precaries all bunched up. You will not be able to sin in glory. Uh, you will possess the land forever. Of course, the, The Jews understood the land as being that promise of of eternal life to them. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. And there we see what? There we see the chief end of our existence, don't we? The glory of God. The smallest one will become a clan and the least one a mighty nation's I, The Lord will hasten it in its time. You know, You cannot experience any of what Isaiah is speaking of here if you are not in heaven. That's why we today preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only hope of the world and for the world that is to come is to be found in Jesus. And our secular attempts at wealth and earthly happiness and world peace are all in vain. Only the gospel and Jesus Christ and his kingdom can establish such things. What man in his disobedience is trying to do is to establish some kind of rival heaven. But it will never work. It will always dissatisfy. It will always fail. And despite all the failure, you know, that definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, even though it doesn't work yet, generation after generation, apart from the grace of God breaking into their life, they will continue to seek out a heaven for themselves, which will utterly fail. And disappoint. But there is real hope then. This is not ultimately a message of despair. But the hope is found outside of man. In Jesus Christ. The hope is found in the Son of God. That's what we commemorate this time of year. That God has given us the answer for real hope. And change in this world. It is not to be found in politics or economics or education Or any type of thing like that or business or commerce. It is founding the person of Jesus. God has sent us the answer and he came in the form of a baby. Weak and helpless. He entered into his humiliation even though he was the son of God. He obediently did all that the father had given him to do. And at the end of that life he surrendered it so that we might have atonement for our sins. And now the message is that everybody who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ has this assurance and promise of eternal life in the new heavens and the new world. These things of which Isaiah speaks and of which John in his revelation affirms as a yes and an amen are realized by faith in Jesus Christ. This brings us to Hebrews 11. Because we do not want to have an overrealized eschatology. Remember that why are the people in Hebrews 11 in the hall of fame or hall of faith of fame? Hall of fame of faith. Because they, they, uh, they, they apprehended these promises without fully getting them. They were willing to apply their faith and believe the word of God even though these things of which were spoken to them were distant. Abraham saw Jesus' day and he rejoiced in what little he saw. God has given you and me a lot more to see since Abraham's day, even since Isaiah's day. We have been given a lot more to see of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are under greater responsibility to respond to the message. Than even the Jews of Isaiah's day. They certainly were. And are accountable for what they heard in their day. But I am saying. That you are even more accountable. Now for hearing what you're hearing today. Even though we're preaching from Isaiah's prophecy. More has been given to us. And we understand this prophecy. Even better than Isaiah understood it. And now the question is. What will you do with the word that has been preached in your hearing will you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ will you will you willingly forsake sin in your life will you willingly turn away from this world which is lying to you will you put your back to the world and will you run after the celestial city will you go after the things That Isaiah is speaking of here, a world that has no need for a sun or a moon because the glory of the Lord is so bright. A world which you cannot see with your natural eye, but you can see with the eyes of faith if you will believe. Will you turn? Will you believe? Will you humble yourself? Will you call on the Lord? Will you look to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Will you turn away from materialism that the United States is is so enmeshed in? Are you willing to not put all your hopes and pleasures in the things of our economy, but trust in Christ? The Lord Jesus has become a man for you so he could take on your likeness without sin so that he could take on your sin. What are you going to do about your sin? What are you going to do about the things you've done that give you grief? Those words that are guilt words in your life that trigger a response in your conscience of I don't want to go there because that's a guilt word. Where do you get atonement for that sin? You get it only in Jesus Christ. That is why we commemorate the Lord Jesus Christ incarnation. This is the beginning of. Of God doing what he said he would do in this chapter. Jesus Christ being born of a, a woman, born of a virgin, laid in the manger in Bethlehem was the beginning of what Isaiah was speaking about. And Jesus would be obedient even to the death on a cross. And that all who believe will be a part of these people of which Isaiah is speaking who will come from far away. And now you need to make a decision. Am I going to go? Am I going to be a part of that crowd that is going to Zion? Am I going to be a part of that crowd? Those people who are willing to leave their native land to become a citizen of Zion. Are you willing to leave mother and father and sister and brother, if need be, to be a part of the family of God, to be a son of Abraham? You need to make that decision. You children, you need to make this decision for yourself that am I going to follow my parents in their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Or am I going to get left behind and be among those who are destroyed with the nations that reject Christ? Even as we see in this chapter here, you have a decision to make and you need to seriously consider. Let's pray together.